It is Wednesday here on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield here, just as we are every other weekday. Mark, we're going to be chatting on uh, the Vikings today. It's a team that I don't think we've talked about much this offseason after probably one of the more devastating playoff losses in recent history. That's true. It's a, a loss that you wrote a little bit about. Um, it's a team we haven't touched on, but to do that, we've got the perfect guest, I think. We do. It's uh, pretty much our go-to expert on the Vikings. It is Arif Hassan from Cold Omaha. And Arif, I apologize right off the bat for kind of throwing you back to that playoff loss. I don't know <laughs> if you're quite over it yet. I wouldn't be, but you might be a tougher man than I am. Uh, you know, we're working our way through it. Uh, I was going to say you guys are, are too kind at those compliments, but if you're leading off by talking about that playoff loss, I don't know if that's true. We, we try to balance it out. You know, we, it's give and take here. We just try to keep it as real as possible, and we, we just try to roll with it. So in any case, I know Mark and I really appreciate you joining us, and uh, we're pretty stoked to talk little Vikings here. Uh, yeah, no, I'm super excited to talk about the Vikings. Let's let's start, I guess, we'll kind of go in chronological order, and I want you, before we go any further, take me through what was going through your head, the PG-13 version at least, during and then after that <laughs> playoff loss. Uh, so uh, I was actually, uh, so I was there, and I was I was there actually as a fan. Oh, you were? Egypt. Yeah, oh. uh, you know, the negative 20 degree weather. How many coats uh, did you have on? I had three coats on, a couple of undershirts. Um, <laughs> there's like a whole like I'm pretty used to having to like go outside in Minnesota. So like there's this whole process that me and my girlfriend went through in order to just like be able to be there for the game. Here's, here's my question, Reef. How many pairs of socks? Uh, only the two, because you don't want to cut off your circulation. That's, that's see, that's a good move. You got to go double sock method, I think. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's really important. Yeah. The the real key is to have like air as an insulator. That way, uh, you know, you can. It's it's one of the best insulators because you know the cold. It's just difficult to travel through. Yeah, so you do uh, the uh, the whole honeycomb thing and then cover it with a firm layer, right? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, you get it. Yeah. Look, I I went to college up in New Hampshire. It's not quite Minnesota, but it's probably the next coldest thing that we have in uh in the lower forty eight states. So, talk to me. Talk to me. Just you were at the game. What? What was going on there? So the seats that I had, uh, they were at maybe the worst possible angle for this kick because uh, I'm looking, you know, directly uh, at the field goal posts, and so I don't actually get to, you know, get a very good angle. So when the kick went up, I thought it went through, and so did the rest of my section. So we actually started cheering. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's brutal. Yeah, it's it's the worst because you know obviously we we were in for a rude awakening. Uh, we had to like ask people around us like what happened, and we all have the same amount of idea of what's happening. So we're it's like a useless, but you know we're we're like confused, and then you know we're hurt and angry. We go through the whole the whole process just a little bit later than everyone else, and like there's this sense of betrayal because you thought you won, um, and you know. So my first thought was like, of course, this is like how it's going to happen. I think you know any Vikings fan can has this like sense of like you know inevitability, and you know history is repeating itself, and you know it's not unusual for uh, Vikings fans to recount a loss in the playoffs as a result of like an unexpected missed kick. Uh, so you know there was that. There was like this sense of like you know this is always going to happen. Um, 
you know, honestly, I was like trying to like process the loss, and like the first thing you want to do is you want to assign blame. And for me, it's very, very difficult for me to be that upset with Bear Walsh because for the for the kick that he missed, a very easy chip shot, he made a couple of kicks that he had no right making, uh, and he scored the only points in the game. Uh, you know, the defense was playing well, and it was honestly, you know, I thought you know Teddy was at fault. I thought Adrian was at fault. I thought. You know, uh, a couple of defensive players, you know, obviously could have played better as always because the score, you know, wasn't wasn't 20 to zero or anything like that. Um, But, you know, it's you try to assign blame. You try to figure out sort of what's happening. It's easiest to blame the most recent thing. But like, you know, there were a lot of parts of the game. And, you know, the Vikings, I, I think that they played better than the Seahawks in that game. But, you know, nothing gets handed to you. So the Vikings didn't, you know, deserve to win the game sort of in the same way. Uh, and they couldn't get in the end zone in that game. So, you know, it sucked and it made sense, but it was better than I think most Vikings fans could have hoped for. The way the year ended, I don't think many people not only uh, would have expected the playoffs, but like a division win too. So there's like a lot of positivity to take from it if you can wade through all the obvious negativity. Well, and I think beyond that, you start to get a little bit further out, and then finally you get to day one of the NFL draft, and you say, okay, 23rd pick, you take a guy, Laquan Treadwell, possibly on, on a lot of people's boards, the top receiver in the draft, certainly no worse than you know, kind of a top three receiver in this year's draft, addressing a key position of need there, and maybe you start to say, okay, this pick could really start to be a springboard for us on offense. Talk to me a little bit about Treadwell and how you see him fitting into that offense there. Yeah, um, I'm a guy who uh, was maybe a little bit more down on Treadwell than most people, but I think it's pretty clear he's a first-round receiver. There's no question about that in my mind, and so he has a lot of qualities that I don't think any other receiver necessarily has in this draft. He's clearly the most physical receiver in the draft. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, and he knows how to use his size, I think, better than a lot of receivers. I mean, there's a couple of 6'4", 6'3", receivers in this draft, and and Laquan Treadwell, he's 6'2", uh, and he plays bigger than all of them. Uh, and that's that's really important. You know, you, you've got a physical guy, a guy who can play big, a guy who can win a lot of these contested catches, uh, and it allows the Vikings not only to win in the red zone in a way that, like, again, we were just talking about this playoff loss. They couldn't get in the end zone, and a lot of it had to do with, you know, the red zone passing game. Uh, you know, that's that's a big part of it, but also, you know, maybe potentially even more important getting to the red zone at all. Uh, you know, Treadwell is the kind of guy that, you know, he's he's such a solid route runner uh, and, he, and, he, and he knows how to establish sort of his area of the field uh, that he can win, you know, on third down and get you to move the chains. Uh, you know, a lot of Vikings fans might have expected a deep threat. Uh, and I don't think Treadwell is is quite there as a deep threat, although I think obviously speed is overrated. Uh, in terms of creating deep threats, uh, you know, I, I think that you know, with Mike Wallace gone, a lot of people were thinking, you know, hey, maybe not necessarily Will Fuller. I didn't really like him as a first round guy, but you know, they were thinking, hey, uh, the Vikings are maybe going to try to move heaven and earth to get a guy that can, that can get open deep. And Treadwell is not necessarily that guy, and I'm I'm really okay with that because you know the way a lot of these air Coriel offenses is won you know it's not always you know the Tory Smith Mike Wallace type although they obviously have played a big role in those kinds of offenses sometimes it's like the Michael Irvin Laquan Treadwell type that allows you to move the chains on third down and it really fits kind of what Teddy does as a passer it's a really good complementary piece you know Treadwell uh, can operate within the timing of an offense really well maybe a lot better than some of the other uh, receivers in this draft and you know hopefully he's going to be sort of a day one contributor because he adds an element to the offense that the Vikings did not have. Arif a guy that 
doesn't look to be a day one contributor, might not even make the squad, is Willie Beavers, a fourth-round pick out of Western Michigan. You've got a great piece up at Cold Omaha. I'd commend people to check it out. Where well, you looked at him, talked about some of the external analysis of him, and you basically concluded this guy might not even make the team. Yeah, in in a draft that I thought was overall pretty good, I liked most of the picks. Uh, Willie Beavers, I think he stood out as a player that I, I really didn't understand as a pick. Uh, at least in the fourth round, as it's like a seventh round prospect, you know, I don't have too many qualms with that. Uh, but for me, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues with Beavers, both you know, sort of statistically, as far as you can like break down statistics for an offensive lineman, as well as sort of on the film. I think there's not very many. Um, I, I guess redeeming qualities is a good way to put it. So statistically, he was perhaps the worst offensive lineman in the draft. He gave up more sacks, more hits, more pressures than anyone else uh, in, in in the draft, and and more than most you know senior college tackles. Even I mean, if you take a look at you know Pro Football Focus's statistics, and I know there's a lot of controversy about using them. If you take a look at Stats Inc. statistics, they, I mean, they use a different method for counting these things up. They both pretty much agree that, that Bieber's not only is the worst, but worst by a significant margin. Like the difference between him and sort of the second worst uh, is the difference between the second worst and and the best. Like it's a huge difference, uh, and so you know that's a problem. But you have to scout traits, not production. I, I think you know people. Uh, kind of intuitively understand that, but they they lose track of that. So you know you have to take a look at the film. And I thought that though Beavers did have a lot of positive qualities, you know he's he's again like kind of like Treadwell, he's you know very tough. You know he likes to put a dent in people. I think is the the phrase that Tony Sperano uses. Um, you know, and and he's got some upper body strength. I, I think that he showcases uh, really poor leverage. Like he's a lot better balanced than I think people give him credit for, but he's got really poor leverage. He lunges a lot. He has extremely poor hand placement. Uh, he doesn't really have the ability to drive off of his lower body. Uh, and it, it doesn't seem like he has the ability to read, uh, opposing defensive ends. And the Vikings are moving him inside to guard. A lot of people think of guard as, as easy tackle and it's not. You know, there's a lot of things guards have to do better than tackles, and one of the one of those things is to react faster and deal with, you know, quickness a little bit better. And I don't think his hands are quick enough uh, to to do that. So I've got a lot of reservations about the pick, and the Vikings have eight or nine offensive linemen that could all have an argument to make the roster. All, they've all have stronger arguments to make the roster than miss the roster. So this might be one of those situations. It's only happened like four times in the past five years where a fourth-round pick doesn't make the opening day roster. Arif, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the most hyped sixth-round pick to never play <laughs> uh, a snap of football. Talking about Moritz Beringer, and, and obviously this is a guy who freakish off-the-charts athleticism. You know, you're talking top-tier numbers as far as just the raw uh, physical tools that he possesses. But obviously you're talking about one of the rawest and, and most inexperienced prospects in recent history to be drafted. We see guys that take the basketball route and end up as undrafted free agents quite often as tight ends and so forth. But talk to me about Beringer and talk to me just about, I guess, your expectations for him this year, if any, uh, seeing action in an NFL game. Yeah, I think uh, obviously the preseason is going to be very interesting for him. Training camp is going to be, uh, you know, fascinating. Um, but my expectations in general are, 
uh, that he competes basically for a practice squad uh, position. And there's a couple of reasons for that. The first, I think, just has to do with sort of the roster math. You know, I already mentioned that there was, you know, pressure in terms of coming up with a 53 from the offensive lineman. They could take up 10, possibly 11, although that's unlikely spots uh, on the roster. And that really puts pressure everywhere else. There are six receivers the Vikings have that also have very good arguments. And I can't imagine uh, putting Moritz Beringer on the roster above really solid special teams contributors like Adam Thielen, one of the best kick returns in the league, though disappointing, Cordell Patterson. Um, you've got a really solid uh, you know, top three in Jarius Wright, Stephon Diggs, and Laquan Treadwell. Uh, and, and there's just like not really a bunch of spots that you can that you can put him on a roster and still, you know, carry three quarterbacks like the Vikings like to, or, you know, carry nine defensive linemen like they like to. So uh, for me, the expectations are that that he makes you know the practice squad. And, you know, uh, as a sixth round pick, you expect maybe a little bit of a better chance to make the roster. You know, obviously, sixth round picks aren't locks or anything like that. Um, but I kind of understand why the Vikings did it because we we kind of throw around the term physical freak a lot uh, to the point where I think it's been a little bit watered down. You know, some of these some of these basketball guys, I think they deserve you know that term. That's the only reason they're being invited to the camp, but. You know, there's a difference between being in the top 5% at your position, which a lot of these guys are, and being the top 1% or, or half a percent at your position, which is what Moritz is. I mean, it's, it's difficult to overstate how athletically different he is than most receiver prospects coming into the league. Uh, and it's, it's different than, you know, some of the guys that we're labeling as physical freaks. Obviously, this last year we didn't have, you know, a draft full of, full of incredible physical athletes, but I would say that he's a, a more of a physical freak than, you know, Doriel Green Beckham, for example, by by far. And he's a guy that was, you know, living on potential. Maybe Stephen Hill, for example, uh, isn't as big of a physical freak as Moritz. So I kind of want to emphasize that there's a big difference between being in the top half a percent and being the top five percent. I think that that's what moves someone who has not played a down of American football in America uh, in the sixth round instead of going undrafted. And he also does have a couple of instincts that kind of pop off when you watch highlight film as much as you can. Uh, you know, he locates the ball really well. He seems to catch pretty naturally and stuff like that. But, you know, he's got an enormous learning curve, and it's going to be very, very difficult for him uh, to make the roster. It sounds like he's had a couple of drops at OTAs, uh, and he's going to have to do a lot more, I think, to impress the Vikings. Yeah, so in, in terms of raw physical skills, we're pretty much talking equivalent to what I do to the kicker position. That's that's really all you had to say, right? I mean, Yeah, of course. Yeah, I really should have just gotten there right away. Yeah. Um, Arif, Harrison Smith might not be a household name, but he just signed a five-year contract extension, which, depending on how you look at it, makes him one of the higher paid safeties, if not the highest paid safety in the league. You've got another piece of a cold Omaha that looked at Harrison Smith's game and his statistics, and you come to the conclusion that, yes, he is the best safety in the NFL. To those that don't know about Harrison Smith, what should they know? Uh, yeah, I think the best safety in the NFL is, is the first thing that they, they should know. There you know. go. That's it. There's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was breaking down. Um, again, this is this is more of an analytical breakdown. I didn't do as much of a film breakdown. There's going to be another writer at the site who does maybe a more complete film breakdown of the guy. And I think that the film even speaks better to him than than the statistics do because statistics not always you know great for determining safety play. But one of the things that that makes Harrison Smith so great uh, involves uh, his incredible coverage ability and his range. A lot of people. You know, if they know about Harrison at all, they know about how good of a hitter he is. I mean, and he lays the wood. I mean, he's a phenomenal hitter. Uh, and he used to have some issues with missed tackles, not because of, you know, tackling form. A lot of people think, you know, big hitter, poor tackler, but because of tackling angles. And he's done a, a really, really good job cleaning that up over the past couple of years. Uh, he's 
Uh, his incredible range allows him to play as a single high safety in a cover one or cover three, kind of like Earl Thomas does. Not necessarily as fast as Earl Thomas. I don't think there are really any safeties in the NFL at the moment that can say that, uh, but pretty comparable. Uh, and so when quarterbacks are throwing his way, I think he's the second best passer rating when targeted in the NFL. Uh, when quarterbacks are throwing his way, uh, you know they, they have a passer rating of about 43. Uh, and yeah, if, if you turn, yeah, if you can turn quarterbacks into Ryan Leaf when they're throwing at you, I think you've got you've got a pretty good resume for yourself. Uh, you know, he's great at generating turnovers. A lot of people think about interceptions, but he's great at forcing fumbles. One could argue that I think that you know, at generating turnovers, he's one of the better safeties in the league. In coverage, he's maybe the second best safety in the league. And against the run, he's only behind, I would say, Rashad Jones statistically at being able to get involved in the run game, both sort of as a percentage. Of, of team run snaps and his ability to make sure that, you know, because a lot of people, they count tackles. They don't really realize that yeah, tackling coverage is bad uh, because it means you gave up a reception or a tackle eight yards down the field isn't as good as a tackle one or two yards down the field. And the thing about Harrison Smith is he has a very, very high percentage of run stops that are within one or two yards of the line of scrimmage or even tackles for loss to a degree that I think most safeties don't have. So statistically, his tackles, he has a lot of tackles first, um, but most of his tackles are in the run game, not in the passing game, and that's an, an important distinction. And they're huge positive contributors for the defense, which a lot of safety tackles aren't. And I think Barry Church might be a good example of a guy who racks up a lot of tackles, but they're not necessarily always tackles that that sort of help the defense's goal of getting the offense off the field. So he's one of the best run-defending safeties in the game, one of the best coverage safeties in the game. He's the only safety who's both of those things. Plus... Uh, he has more sacks than any other safety. So uh, he's he's not only complete, he's he's elite at all of the things that he's complete at. Um, so he's a phenomenal safety, and uh, it's it's kind of sad that he hasn't gotten sort of the, the associated press recognition that he deserves, or the fan recognition of the Pro Bowl. Um, but I don't think there's any question in my mind that he's the best safety in the NFL right now. Wow. We, we covered a lot of stuff there. Chuck, you got anything else for our friend here? No, I think that's that's just about it that I've got. Arif, when when you talk about some of the uh, the battles that you're looking at, I guess heading into training camp, anything in particular stand out as far as uh, you know key ones that you're watching, whether for starting spots or key backup roles? Uh, yeah, for sure. I think you know we, we just talked about Harrison Smith, his partner. We don't know who that's going to be. We don't know who the other safety spot is going to go to, uh, and it's kind of up in the air. It's it's been an issue for the past couple of years. Uh, you know, you know, Andrew Sandejo won the starting position over Robert Blanton. You know, at the end of last year, he got re-signed, but he's no lock to make the make the team as a starter. Uh, Michael Griffin was signed to a to a pretty cheap, I think, one year deal, uh, and they're they're looking at him. But Anthony Harris is, you know, somebody they could look at. Jaron Kerr, seventh round draft pick, they could be looking at. Uh, maybe even Anton Exum, who is a, a I think a sixth or seventh round pick a couple of years ago, uh, they could be looking at, and it's really up in the air. And you know, all of them have you know positive qualities. A lot, all of them have like these these issues that you want to watch out for. Some of them are kind of baked in the cake. You know what you're getting. You know that's Griffin and Sandejo, uh, and some of them are kind of all upside. Um, so that's a position battle that I think a lot of people will be watching. You know, anybody could start. Anybody could conceivably be off the team. Um, we we don't really know sort of what the range of possibilities for any of those four guys are. Uh, you know, I think that's important. I think trying to figure out what's going to happen at the right tackle position is important. Phil Lodeholt is returning from injury. They just signed Andre Smith. Both very experienced right tackles. Both have had really high-level play there. Uh, and, you know, the offensive line in general, it's going to be really, you know, sort of interesting and exciting to see 
you know, what's going to happen because they were possibly the worst offensive line in the NFL last year. Uh, and, you know, the Vikings have added a lot of bodies, but if you break down the positions individually, there's a lot of room for optimism, but a lot of room for bleakness as well. So the offensive line battle is going to be worth watching. And then I think aside from that, you know, maybe you want to figure out what's going to happen at the will linebacker position. Chad Greenway is, you know, this is his last year. He's going to retire after this year. He's not guaranteed a starting spot. People aren't necessarily super confident in Emmanuel Lemur. Uh, and, you know, maybe Kentrell Brothers could take it. Maybe Edmund Robinson moves from the strong spot to the weak spot. We don't know. Um, but that'll be sort of exciting to watch as well. Outstanding. Well, Arif, thanks again for uh, for joining us today. We, I know we don't have you on here nearly enough, but we'll get you back in sometime right around uh, training camp, and we'll get a little update, all right? Yeah, sounds like fun. All right, all right. Arif Hassan from Cold Omaha, thanks again for coming on with us. Yeah, no problem. It was a lot of fun. We are out of time for the day now. We will be back tomorrow with another episode of the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. Until then, make sure you follow us on Twitter at ITPylon. Also, if you are not checking out our site every day, we got a newsletter that will get you up to speed once a week. It comes out on Saturdays just so you can check in, get up to date on your favorite stories. Make sure you sign up for that on our website, and we will see you tomorrow on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. 